0: So go ahead and open your copy of the Confession to uh, Chapter 13 of Sanctification. Uh, Mr. Reese, what page is it on in the hymnal? Um, This is on page 927. Thank you. So if you're using the hymnal, it's 927. If you're using one of the Bibles from over there, it's uh, 1316. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, the doctrine of sanctification tonight, Lord willing, we will conclude... Um, Our study, at least for this series on sanctification, I'm quite sure it will come up again at some point, Um, Sunday school, other future lessons, but this will conclude our focus study of this chapter. Uh, And as has been the case for the last uh, several weeks, we'll begin by reviewing where we've been overall in this portion of the confession. The confession is summarizing for us. Uh, Several benefits that Christ purchased for us in his death and resurrection. Things that he accomplished on our behalf. And so we're in sanctification right now, but what have we talked about uh, in in recent months even? What are some other things, Stephen? Justification. Justification. Who can tell me what justification is? Bonus points if you can give me the catechism answer, but I'll take the concept. Uh, Stephen, give me one part of justification and Jack give me the other part. God takes his our sins upon him. Okay. So he he takes our sins upon him and so that, that means he's able to forgive you for your sins. Alright? Jack, what's the other part? We realize that we are a sinner and you are the savior. Okay. Alright, very good, Mr. Mr. Johnson. He imputes his righteousness upon us. He gives us Christ's positive righteousness. So he he takes our sins and forgives us for them, and he counts us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. That is the doctrine of justification. My sins for his righteousness. Uh, The old uh, uh, Presbyterian preacher up in Philadelphia, Donald Gray Barnhouse, used to illustrate it kind of like this. He would say... uh, this, this, this represents um, all of my sin and what God does in justifications. He lays all of that, and all of its weight on Christ. And at the same time, he takes all of Christ's perfect, holy righteousness that he earned as a human in his earthly life and lays that on us, giving us credit for every time that Jesus obeyed and kept the fullness of God's law as a man and taking on him every time that you and I disobeyed and broke God's law so that we can be legally declared not guilty, but righteous, all because of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. What's the other head of doctrine that we've looked at the last couple months? Uh, so Christ purchased for us our justification. We're looking at sanctification tonight. What's the other one? Uh, Mr. Adoption. Adoption. Very good. Wherein we are received into the number and have a right to the, all the privileges of the sons of God. And so in adoption, we get several benefits. First of all, we get to call God our Father. We get to acknowledge Him as our Father. There there used to be a teaching um, a long time ago, long before many of you were born, before I was born. But it was very popular with... Uh, kind of my parents' generation and my grandparents' and it's still around. It's called the Universal Fatherhood of God. Has anyone ever heard of this? Yes. Sorry. Has anyone ever heard of the, what's the Universal Fatherhood of God? What's this idea? Does anybody know? Jack? We are all God's children. Yeah, we are all God's children. Kind of, but not really, right? God is the creator of all, He made all of us, but he is the father of those who are in Christ. So we get God as our father. We also get Christ as our uh, elder brother. The scripture does refer to him in that sense in some places. He is also our God and Savior, but it it is not, um, you know, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, he, being Jesus, is not ashamed to call them, that is, us, his brothers, uh, and we also get each other as a, a, a spiritual family of God in and the, and the grace of adoption. So justification changes our legal status. Adoption changes our familial status. And then uh, sanctification changes our inward status, our personal status, if you will. Sanctification, uh, again, like the others, it has uh, two parts to it. There's a what I call... A positional aspect where you are positionally changed. You receive at the moment of your conversion, a new heart that no longer hates God, that is no longer hostile towards God, but actually loves him and wants to serve him. You receive a new spirit that is no longer solely interested in earthly pursuits, but actually starts to care about the things of heaven. You get all of this at once, but then there's also a progressive aspect of our sanctification where that new nature that we get begins to grow, uh, begins to develop, begins to mature, you might say. And the Bible does speak of sanctification uh, in both of these tenses. Uh, just one example, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, but you, after detailing all, of the, all of the sins that people are common to fall into in the world, he says, but you were washed, you were, past tense, sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, but elsewhere it will say that we are growing in our sanctification, we are growing to be more like Jesus for the rest of our lives. And so what I would like to do tonight is focus most of our time and probably all of our time on the rest of what the Confession has to say about sanctification. If there is time at the end, I want to look at the shorter catechism with you guys at some of the other benefits that Christ purchased for his people that are not big enough categories that they're listed um, in their own chapter in the confession, but they're worth knowing and being aware of. At the very least, I'll give you the catechism numbers so you can see them for yourself later. Um, But right now, let's look at the confession. So chapter 13, paragraph 2 says, This sanctification is throughout in the whole man yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And so they're, at this point, just kind of restating what we've already said. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, meaning every part of you is born again, okay? Okay? And you might think of this as the inverse, the opposite of total depravity. Total depravity is an important doctrine in our faith that teaches not that every person that lives is as bad as they possibly could be, but rather that there is no part of you that is born uncorrupted by sin. Every part of you, your mind, your heart, your deeds, your words... All of it is corrupted in some way or another by sin to varying degrees for varying people, but that's, that's the teaching of total depravity. What we're saying when we say this sanctification is throughout in the whole man is you're not just having your deeds, the things that you do, sanctified and brought more into conformity to Christ. You're having the way that you think sanctified and brought more into conformity with Christ. You're having your your affections, your desires sanctified and brought into more conformity with Christ. That's what it means by it is throughout in the whole man. Just as sin corrupted every part of you, sanctification is renewing and restoring every part of you. Um, that's, That's what that means. And then it goes on to say, yet it is imperfect in this life. It is imperfect in this life. And again, I don't think I need to explain that a lot to you guys, other than to say that there are uh, some teachers, uh, some that we would, generally speaking, respect uh, and and, and admire and say God used greatly that teach that someone can become sinless in this life. Uh, The Wesley brothers, uh, who we love and we sing several of their hymns, did teach that. Did teach that if you uh, work hard enough at it, you can become sinless this side of glory. And the confession of faith is saying, no, not possible. Bible doesn't teach it. And there are several passages that we could go to to prove this. Uh, one would be Romans chapter 7, uh, where, where Paul himself, actually I'll, I'll read part of Romans 7 for us. Uh, if you guys want to flip there, you're welcome to. Um, but I'll just read it aloud. The Apostle Paul writes, Romans chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 15, Romans 7 beginning in 15, Paul says, I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing I hate. I've just got a, a very uh, general question for you guys there. Uh, please, somebody, raise your hand, be bold. Who's, who's, who, like, loves English grammar? Okay. Maybe you don't love it, but who's, like, good at English grammar? I'm, I'm going to take you up on that. All right. What tense are the verbs that I just read? Verse 17? Yeah, yeah, the whole passage. Paul speaking in present tense or past tense? Present Present tense. Okay. The Apostle Paul, 20 years into his ministry, about five years from when he's going to be executed from the Roman government, says, I still struggle with sin. And so I just lay before you my case, you're not more holy than Paul. All right. That's, That's my proof that sanctification is not and cannot be perfect in this life. Um, the Apostle John would say in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we make him to be a liar. Can God lie? No. So if you say you have no sin, you are accusing God of lying. All right, Sinless perfection in this life, not possible. Um, and so what that means, and the reason that's important for us to know, is that when sin comes up in your life, when you struggle with sin, that does not necessarily mean that you are not a Christian. In fact, every Christian has this come up in your life um, the The question is not uh, as a christian uh, have i have I not fully conquered sin? The question is am I seeing growth over sins am I seeing improvement and Am I seeing the fruits of righteousness in my life? And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But just to kind of give you guys uh, an illustration of what I'm talking about here. Uh, Everyone here has uh, indoor plumbing in your home? Yes? Okay. So, like, typically, when you turn on the faucet, like, water that you would drink comes out, right? But this is not always the case. Sometimes there's some gunk that comes out, and and you would not drink that. You might give it to somebody else to drink. It's a joke. But, uh... Ordinarily, that's not the case. All right. The point that I'm making is this. When, when the filth comes out, you do not assume that my, my sink is now no longer connected to the water source that it once had. You don't assume that somehow a, a, a pipe broke and you're, no, you're cut off from that source of water. You know there's something wrong with the faucet and you go inside it to try and clean that out. In the same way, when you have sin issues in your life that come up, it does not mean that you are cut off from Christ, the source of all goodness and truth and holiness and and all of that. It means there's something wrong with you that you need to try and root out. Does that make sense? So don't be caught off guard when sin comes up in your life. One of the really frustrating parts of sanctification is this. On the one hand, you will as you progress in your Christian life, sin less. You will not be sinless, but you will commit less cumulative sins. But what's so doggone frustrating about it is as you grow in holiness, guess what you grow more aware of? Sin. (laughs) And so while while the numerical amount of them is fewer... You're now aware of more of the little ones than you ever were, and, and, and that can be an incredibly tense and frustrating process, but it is good, and it is the way that God has designed it to work. It is imperfect in this life because there abides still some remnants of corruption. And then it says, Whence ariseth a war, an irreconcilable war? That was not a punchline, guys. Whence um, ariseth an irreconcilable war between the flesh and the spirit. And that's what Paul is describing in the passage we just read in Romans 7. With, with, with my mind, I know it's wrong, but I still find myself doing it. What's going on here? And if you read that passage to the end, he says, Who will deliver me from this cursed body of sin and death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one that gets the victory in the end. But... The bad news for you guys is you all look young and healthy and like you've got a long life to live to fight this war in the meantime. And so I want to talk with you briefly about how do we do that. Okay, It's one thing to know intellectually that you're in a war, but I want to talk with you all uh, for, for a bit about how to fight that war. And let's, let's use uh, the Word of God to give us a little bit of guidance here. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians, chapter four, and we'll we may well wind up being here for the rest of our lesson. I'm just going to read uh, this passage and, and work through. Actually, I'm going to have some of y'all read. I talk a lot. Miss um, uh, Babington, the eldest, would you please read Ephesians four seventeen to twenty four. Miss Babington, the the younger, would you please pick up at verse 25 and go through 32? Um, We'll just stay over there. Miss Miss Myers, would you do us the honor of chapter 5, 1 to 6? And then let's get some guys. Uh, uh, Mr. Gamble, uh, 5, 7 to 14. And... Stephen, if you could bring us home with 15 to 21. All right, so, um, Afton. Now this I say and testify
1: in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right,
0: before we go on to ponder, um, I just want to take a minute and direct your attention, uh, especially to verse 21. This is the principle by which we fight spiritual warfare putting off the old and putting on the new. I spent some time on this with you all two weeks ago, but it's good to reinforce and remember um, because 90% of people that try and help you in your sanctification are only going to focus on this part of it, which is uh, regulating and putting to death sin in your life. And I am 100% for that. I think that's absolutely right. We need to be aware of sins that we are uh, prone to. We need to be aware of areas that we find temptation and seek to put that to death. But that alone is not sufficient. The other side of that is putting on the new, putting on what is holy, what is right. And the rest of this passage is going to give us several examples of what that looks like. It's not just doing away with the bad habit, it is also actively cultivating new ones. You guys see what I'm, see what I'm getting at here? Putting off and putting on. All right, ponder, go. Therefore, having
1: put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of
0: another. All right, I'm going to pause you right there. There's one example already in the verse that she just read. What is it? Or to do away with one thing and do something else. Somebody besides Stephen. Mr. Johnson. The way false falsehood and speak truth. Alright, yeah. So it's not enough to just not listen to lies. It's not enough to just not tell lies. We also have to seek out the truth. And give ourselves over to that. Keep going, Ms. Babbitt.
1: Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So that you may have something to share with anyone
0: in need. Pause. All right, there's another one. What is it? Yes? the uh, faithful no longer steal and work hard. Right. So stop stealing and instead do the opposite work hard so that you might have something to give. Put off the old, put on the new. All right, keep going, Ms. Adams. Let no crouching talk
1: come out of your mouths. Only such is as good for building up, as this is the occasion, that it may give grace for the two-year. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.
0: Very good. Thank you. And so there's a lot that is in that last section there. I would just point out specifically... Um, because this is one that, that I need to be aware of, this is one that you guys need to be aware of let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up it's so easy to find ways to tear others down we ought to seek rather ways to build one another up don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only that which is good for building up be kind to one another and tender hearted and then here's, the, here's the, the real hard one, forgiving one another when that doesn't happen. That is hard, but we need to do it. All right, um, who did I have next? Miss Myers? Go ahead.
1: Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all purity, impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish
0: talk, nor crude joking, which are not, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Pause right there. Sorry. Um, notice that these are not new problems for the human uh, condition. To avoid uh, this kind of talking, Paul has to mention it several times over. Y'all are not unique, and neither was my generation, but also struggled with that. And I, I'm quite sure my parents did as well, and on, on back. This is something we need to be aware of, how we speak, how we think, how we address one another. Keep going, Ms. Myers.
1: For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon you, the sons of disobedience.
0: All right, uh, and I had Mr. Gamble next. The, 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 the mean words, not just the, the overtly negative things, but the what was the word? What works of darkness? Um, the unfruitful. Even if it's something that you think is morally neutral, remember we're not called to be morally neutral. We're called to pursue positive, active holiness. Um, keep going. Um, and try to discern what is pleasing to
1: the Lord, to depart them from the Lord's aboveness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, "Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Campbell. All right, uh, and Stephen.
1: Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise
0: In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Um, And and so again, this idea of being intentional with your time. Um, Look carefully how you walk. Be wise, making the best use of the time. We don't want to be idle. We don't want to be passive. We want to be actively pursuing the putting off and the putting on. There's a bunch of other passages you all could go to, but this is kind of a good one to have in your back pocket, pocket to look at. How am I doing? How am I progressing in sanctification? We won't take the time to go there, but I will. I would also recommend uh, Galatians 5: 16 to 24 because uh, that gives you both the, the the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. You should see one list going down, deeds of the flesh. One list going up, fruit of the spirit. Because against such things there is no law, as they say. All right. Uh, so now let's move on. First of all, questions on that before I move on to finish the chapter? Because I think we can finish the chapter. Questions, though, on where we've been so far. What sanctification is, what it looks like, how to pursue it. Very clearly said. Excellent. All right. So let's move on. Uh, chapter 13. Paragraph 3. In which war, so this is referring back to our spiritual warfare, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail. That is one of the most terrifying lines in the confession to me. Because what they're saying is you're in spiritual warfare and there may be a time, not a moment of weakness, not a day of, There might be a period of your life, a season of your life, where it says the flesh will much prevail. It's petrified. Because it means there might be seasons in the life of a real, born-again, regenerate Christian that are lived in sin. And the people it's most terrifying for are those who care about you. Because on the one hand, the Bible says, you shall know them by what? By their fruit, yeah, by their works. You'll know them by what they do. Matthew 7, 16. But, there are examples in the Bible of men who were really born again, and yet appeared to fall away. Peter denied the Lord three times. Peter again refused table fellowship with the Gentiles, which is a bigger deal than I have time to get into with you guys. But Paul said he had to oppose him to his face because he was denying the gospel. That means Peter denied the Lord both before and after the resurrection. If it can happen to him, it can happen to you. If it can happen to him for a period of time, it can happen to you for a season of time. And so while there is truth, of course, in what the Lord Jesus says, you shall know them by their fruits, you don't know perfectly, because the Bible also says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart And so it's a terrifying thing to know that there will be some, perhaps in this room, that will for a season have the flesh prevail much in the war. But the chapter doesn't end there. It says, Yet, yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I just want to explain that real quickly and and we'll be done. What that's saying is that the very best thing you can do for your wayward Christian friend, for your wayward Christian relative, is get them in church. Get them exposed to the ordinary means of grace because it is those things through which the, spirit, the sanctifying spirit of Christ works to strengthen the regenerate part that it may overcome. That it may overcome the continual subduing of the flesh. And further, what I would say for you all. Don't let it be a habit to miss corporate worship on the Lord's Day. When I'm looking especially at you seniors. When you graduate and you're not in mom and dad's house anymore. And you get to decide what you do on Sunday morning. Go to church. It is through the means of the worship of God, the preaching of his word, the singing of his praises, the prayers of his people, that is what gives you the spiritual strength to keep going.
1: And I have never,
0: ever, ever, I've met lots of Christians that don't go to church. None of them, would I say, it has been good for them. That is what we need. That is what gives us the strength to pursue our sanctification. Well, as I predicted, uh, we do not have time to look at the other benefits that Christ purchases for us, but I do want to just give them to you from the Shorter Catechism. For those of you that take notes, and we'll go back and look this up later, they are remarkable. Questions 36 through 38 will give you the other benefits that accompany and flow from justification, sanctification, and adoption in this life. And then you receive benefits from Christ at death. And then you receive even more again at the resurrection. The the, the point is the grace abounds. The benefits abound. Let us pray and then we'll sing. God in heaven, I give thanks to you for these, my young friends. And I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased these and so many other benefits for us. Indeed, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, my young friends would come to know and love and embrace those blessings in the Lord who provides them, in whose name we pray. Amen.